that we have been challenging all of us between now and Christmas as part of the series to spend eight minutes once a week, once a day, praying and meditating on these eight verses. It's in your program if you want to see it, but it's Philippians 2, 8 to 14. And it's this Christmas hymn or Christmas poem that Paul wraps the book of Philippians around. So I'm working on it. I'm here. Let each of you look out, not only for their own interest, but also the interest of others. Let this mindset be in you that's also of Christ Jesus, who did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but rather he made himself of no reputation like a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man, and I kind of get mixed up here, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, and being in the appearance of Christ, and that's as far as I've made it. That each week take one verse, but don't just memorize it, then in your prayer time meditate on it. To take that word and just go, let each of you look out not only for your own interests. God has nothing wrong with me looking out for my interests, but also for the interests of others. What happened in that conversation at work was I looking out for the other person's interest as well. Let this mindset be in me that's in you, Jesus. Am I having the mindset of how do I serve people in my circumstances? Or is it all about my rights and my privileges and my reputation? Eight minutes a day if you can, eight verses, memorize and meditating on it, that it would be the, the, the way in which God bestows his grace upon you as we go through Philippians. Now do that, we've learned several things about this book already. We've learned that it's in the New Testament. After the Gospels cover Jesus' life, we move into the book of Acts, establishing the church, where Paul established the church in Philippi. Then he writes a series of letters to a variety of churches, one of which is the church of Philippi. So under the letters is a group of, of uh, letters called the prison epistles because they're written from prison. And the book of Philippians is one of the prison epistles written as one of the letters to the church, one of the churches he began during his tours around the, the world at those days called Philippi and the letters called Philippians. So that's where we're at. We've also learned that the entire book is organized around what's called a Christmas hymn. That's what commentators call it, but it's really a Christmas poem. They used to sing this song together in the early church. It taught both the, God, the doctrine of what God did for us. He who is equal with God came in our likeness. He humbled himself to die, even death on a cross. God rose him up that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That what God did for us is the motivation for what we do for others. We also learned that each section of the book of Philippians is organized around that poem. Each chunk goes with that. So today's piece, the second half of chapter 1, is like a little Christmas card that is basically complementing this part, God adapted to us. And so if you were to summarize our passage today, it would be this. Saints, you are a saint right now because of what God did by adapting to you. So adapt others. Adapt to your circumstances, let God glorify himself in your circumstances. Adapt to God in your suffering. And if there's needs of people that aren't your preferences, they want you to listen better than you listen, uh, they prefer to go this way and you prefer to go that way, you're going to have to give up some of your rights. Adapt to others, even your enemies, even your family, even your friends, if it can accomplish God's greater purpose. 
So that's where we're at today. We're at a little Christmas card. It's adapting this part or complementing this part of the poem together. And in that, I'll read the whole passage together. Paul is going to talk about his commitment to adapt, whether he's in suffering or chains. And over and over he's going to say, because I know it's going to turn out. In fact, that's a key phrase in this whole passage. I'm adapting because it turns out for good. Jesus adapted and it turned out he's now sitting at the right hand of God. It turns out that you can have confidence that things will turn out when you lean into God. So Paul's willing to adapt to anything so everyone can hear the good news that God adapted to us. Here's what he says. I want you to know, brethren, that the things that have happened to me, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains, they're not gone physically, but they're in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, seeing me display grace in my chains, they're becoming confident by my chains. They're much more bold. They're growing to speak the word without fear. Now, there's some people who are accusing me of stuff. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, but some do it from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not very sincerely, and they're supposing to add affliction to my chains. But there's a latter group that are preaching out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? I'm just happy that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, that Christ is preached. I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this, this current circumstance, this current challenge, the people gossiping about me is going to turn out, there it is again, for my deliverance through prayer and the supplication of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, there's nothing I shall be ashamed. But with boldness, as always, that Christ would be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. See, for me, I got two options. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I live on in the flesh, it means fruit. I get to grow people and God grows me. Yet, what shall I choose? I can't tell. They're both good options. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, that's far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh means I can be more needful for you. But I'm confident of this. Remember the first chapter? We're confident that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. You can also be confident. I know that for sure I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy you're going to have, the joy of your faith, that you're rejoicing with me may become more and more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. He just constantly finding joy in his suffering and challenges and malice against him because he knows it's going to turn out for God and good. So how about you? Are you willing to adapt how you present yourself, your rights, your privileges to anyone if it accomplishes God's greater goal in your life? If it means changing locations or changing strategies or changing how you adapt. Certainly how we began as a church. There's not a lot of churches in America who thought, let's have an evangelism service and a discipleship service with two different musics and two different messages. But we wanted to adapt, not the message, but the strategies. I have several friends I've invited to our church over the last 20 years. 
who the conversations I was having in my backyard while we were boating together were great spiritual conversations, real curiosity. My friend Chris and my friend Greg, many who came to know Jesus at our church. But if I invite them to this service, it would be way too big of a step to go from what we were talking about to praise and worship and verse-by-verse Bible teaching. But to have them come to a service to hear, you know, Katie Bush running down the hill from Stranger Things last week, or Dave Matthews Band, or The Who, and to use that as a bridge into the gospel. We're willing to adapt our best time slots for our friends, our strategies to our friends, so that we can grow us well, but also adapt our strategies to others. That's why our mission statement is really about adapting. How do we comfortably connect people to God through the Bible and a community of growing cross followers? You see, how you currently are living out the life of God in your current circumstances is the main way that people are going to see Jesus. Long before they come to a service, they're going to see God in you, in your marriage, in your neighborhood, on your team at work. So I want to talk about two adaptations that Paul talks about today. My hope is to give you a mindset. What if you knew for sure that whatever you have to adapt to or whatever you have to suffer through What if you knew that it's going to turn out for good? See, meaningless suffering wears us out. But if you knew it was going to turn out for good, you might say, all right, I'll put up with this a little bit longer. I'll see some meaning in the midst of this. So let's look at these two adaptations together. Paul mentions the first one here. He says, the first adaptation is I'm willing to adapt to anyone. Jews and Gentiles, uh, Roman guards, as well as people in Philippi and people back in Jerusalem. I'm willing to adapt to anyone and everyone knowing it would turn out for good. That's what I know to be true. That's what motivates me. That's my mindset. It turns out. So I'll adapt to anyone at any time if God can use it. Here's how he says it. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me, I've had to adapt to shipwrecks and snake bites and being imprisoned and false trials, the things, he just mentions like things, the things that have happened to me, I'm constantly thinking, how can I adapt to the person I'm near and for the God who did it for me, because I know it's going to turn out for the furtherance of the good news of the gospel. You don't adapt to your enemies because they deserve it. You don't adapt to your spouse sometimes because they deserve it. You don't adapt to your enemies because they deserve it. You adapt for Jesus because of what he did for you. So I adapt to others, but I'm always adapting for the God who adapted to me. I was talking to a family a couple months ago who got this horrific diagnosis, terminal, weeks to live, very young family in their 50s, kids in their 20s. As I was talking to them and praying with them, they said, yeah, we just feel like God is calling us to live out for our friends and our kids. What does faith look like with a terminal diagnosis? Wow. I followed up a few weeks ago because it had been a few months. I said, how are things going? And they said, you're not going to believe this, but miraculously, no longer do we have weeks or months. We might have years. We don't know, but we've been given another gift of time, and we feel like we're going to live out what using the gift of more time looks like before our family and friends. They just wanted everything to turn out for the sake of the gospel, even in that circumstance. Maybe you know my father-in-law was in a terrible car accident, tumbled uh, the car down basically a ravine. 
So he's been wrestling with his life, two breaks in his neck, three breaks in his back, mild uh, uh, brain bleed and, and stroke. And, and we're all part of a, a chain of texts which has people who don't talk to each other most of the time, to be honest. And people are very different politically, very different religiously. And as the texts are going around, you get to see what does it look like in this circumstance to be praying for your husband or your dad, to be giving God credit for what he's doing. How can this turn out for the gospel? It's a mindset Paul had. The other thing he says, it turns out that because of how I leaned into God here, it turns out that Romans heard and Christians were spurred. So it turns out. It turns out because I just lived out my faith while I had these chains on my ankles, people that wouldn't have heard about Jesus heard about Jesus, and people who heard about how I was reacting were spurred to do the same. It's just amazing. It's become evident. It's becoming on display what Jesus looks like, what the good news looks like, what peace in difficulty looks like to the whole palace guard. These, these Romans heard because I got to see me living it out. Now, before I read the rest, let me show you what a Roman looks like. So this is kind of Romans in their typical garb, typical shields. They're men of honor and courage. And they've seen a lot of slaves and they've killed a lot of people, but they have never seen somebody who sings hymns while they're imprisoned. They've never seen somebody who's got such incredible joy in the midst of suffering. This is tapping into something they've never seen before. And Paul's like, it turns out God's going to use how I react now to the Romans who are watching. Because it's more than that. The Christians, like you in Philippi, who are hearing my story, the Romans heard, but you were spurred on to live out the life of Jesus in your circumstances because of it. Here's what he says. To all the rest, my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren, the Christians, who are in the Lord, they're becoming more confident in their chains, in their difficulty, in their circumstances, in their challenges. If Paul could speak out in his and God used it, maybe turns out God could use my circumstances. And they're having much more, muchly much, much more bold to speak the word without fear. There's this boldness coming upon them. Because it turns out God's using Paul. It turns out God used Jesus. Maybe it turns out God could use me. While he's in prison? Yeah. In fact, it's interesting. Have you ever seen this Rembrandt? But it shows Paul just kind of contemplating, what can I share with the Philippians and others as I'm writing in prison? The things God's teaching me. To see the look on his face, you see his circumstances, he's in there in prison. And yet, typical Rembrandt, typical uh, paintings in those days, just look at that picture for a second. Now look away from his face, look at the very nice blanket he has. Look at the very nice cot he has. Look, they gave him a sword. Look at those Romans, gave him a sword. <laughs> Let me tell you the real prison Paul was in. It didn't look anything like this. So we got a chance uh, a few weeks ago, I gave you a little tour of ancient Philippi, and I showed you that there's a location there where we think Paul spent time in prison in the book of Acts, where he sang those hymns with, uh, with Silas. Look more like this. And his accommodations look more like that. Not a lot of beds, not a lot of blankets, either hot or cold. And when Paul's writing this letter, it's possible, we don't know for sure, but he's in Mamertine prison in ancient Rome. They put a stairwell in now, but there wasn't one at the time. You went in through this hole, in and out. If you go down through the hole, you come out through here, and you're chained up against the wall, here or here or here. 
and you're chained up in the most uncomfortable positions. I'll show you in a second. I went to another place he was imprisoned when he was appealing to Caesar, and that's in Caesarea uh, Maritime. Beautiful location, but he's chained up here in this area in this little bitty hole of a location for years waiting for trial before Felix and Augustus and Festus. And in those circumstances, when they would chain somebody up, here's an oil lamp somebody made. Can you imagine making an oil lamp of this picture? You know, let's get an oil lamp of what it looks like to torture somebody. But this is what they would do. They put a ring around your neck and they would chain your hands to your feet. I mean, you think about your back trying to sleep at night with our pillows and our comforters. That's how you're sleeping for months at a time. And Paul said, in that circumstance, it turns out God could work. In that circumstance, I knew God would use me to draw attention to himself. Unbelievable. But Paul goes on, he says, what well, turns out that God can use anyone and everything to display his love. There's a whole bunch of people preaching. This is hard to imagine in today's day. But there are preachers who are hypocrites. There are preachers who have bad motives. There are preachers who are not out for the best of everybody involved. And this is just shocking. Well, at the same time, there were people who were preaching with terrible motives and specifically to a malign Paul. And somebody brings it to his attention. And look at his attitude. His attitude, as it turns out, whether they had bad motives or good motives, I'm just glad the message is getting out, he says. Some, that's true, some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife. Envy and strife is not good. This is not a good motivation for preaching. Some do it from goodwill. The bad ones, they do it from selfish ambition. They're not very sincere at all. And they're trying to do it to add to my affliction. Ha ha, Paul, I don't have to spend time in prison. Look at how I'm preaching. The latter, though, do it out of love. Knowing that I'm appointed, they're not malicing me, they're not gossiping about me. They know I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel, and that's why God's got me in these circumstances. What then? How am I going to react? How am I going to respond? I know how I'd respond. I'd be ticked off. I'd be mad. God, why are you doing this? Those people got bad motives. Why are you blessing their church? He says, what then? Well, turns out I'm just happy that in every way, whether pretense, not the ideal, or truth, a little closer to the ideal, I'm just glad that Christ has preached. And I'm going to choose in my current circumstance, being gossiped and maligned about, to rejoice. To rejoy myself. Yes, I'm going to rejoy myself. How are you going to rejoy yourself? Because I know when I adapt to my suffering to other people, it turns out for good in God. So what motivates you to do this, right? See, we like to say, well, I'll turn and adapt a little bit if I know it's going to turn out. But then we have like the stipulations like, well, I'll adapt to my, my, my son, but not my husband. I'll adapt to my husband, but not my coworker because they're annoying. We want to choose who we adapt to. Paul adapts to Romans, his enemies, as well as his friends. We want to choose how. I'll adapt so far, but I'm not going to go that far. They just need to change what they need, change what they want. I won't do it that often. And we want to choose why. Well, I'm not going to adapt to people who have bad motivation. I'll only adapt to people who have good motivation. If we look back at the cross, here's the motivation, which is that God loved his enemies, that he adapted by becoming as a man. He adapted to dying, and not just dying, but dying on a Roman cross. If he was willing to adapt for anyone, go all the way to the extreme, regardless of why, then we should do the same for others. That's why this Christmas hymn or Christmas poem is the motivation. 
What else would motivate you to adapt to someone else's needs in significant and uncomfortable ways? I'll be a little insignificant change or a little comfortable adaptation, but to be uncomfortable? What would motivate you to do that? But Jesus. If you remember the story several years ago, there was a shooting at an Amish community. This evil, psychotic man came into an old schoolhouse with 10 to 12, mostly little girls, Amish girls, aged 9 to 13. Came in, he's about to shoot up the whole place, and this 13-year-old good girl stood in front of all her friends and said, would you just shoot me and save the rest? Where does the motivation come from at that age to give your life for other people? To speak that boldly before your enemies? She knew to die is game, even though she wanted to live as Christ. He didn't listen to her. He killed her and many other little boys and girls there, mostly girls, and wounded several others. And the Amish community came together grieving and condemning this evil that was done that day. And then they shocked the world because the killer had also either killed himself or been shot by a police officer. I can't remember which, but he died in the, in the encounter. And these Amish followers of Jesus recognized that his mom lived in their community and they were grieving the loss of their children that maybe she was grieving the loss of hers let me tell you if I was thinking about his mom I'd have a lot to say about his mom how she didn't raise him right how dare you put him in the situation my kids are dead because of what you did they saw her as a grieving mom and this Amish community while grieving their own children's loss, came over to her home and prayed with her and comforted her and grieved together. And that message went all across every newspaper in the world. No one had ever seen this type of reaction. And the gospel was advanced in the darkest of moments because of the boldness of a little girl and the unbelievable gospel motivation of this community. Mm. I'm a long way from that. Paul goes on. He says there's a second thing that motivates me to adapt, and I want to motivate you as well. He says, I'll adapt at any time. And I'll adapt everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's in Jerusalem or if it's in Philippi. And here's why, he says. I know it's going to turn out, but it's more than that. I know it's going to turn out not only for God, but for good. You see, it's not just good things are going to happen, even if it means I get them in heaven, but I know it'll turn out for God. God will use what's going on for his purposes. And he's always got these mindset he's thinking about when he comes to circumstances. It's pretty amazing. So here's what Paul says. I know God's going to make things turn out in every way, whether pretense or truth, I want Christ to be preached. I, I rejoice because I know that. I know it's going to turn out for my deliverance. Either deliverance in heaven, because to die is gain, or deliverance on earth, because you're praying and I'm going to get out and be able to plant more churches. Through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. So he knows God's going to supply whatever he needs, his wisdom, his strength, his grace, his forgiveness. I've got this earnest expectation. I've got this hope that in nothing I will be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, I know Christ will be magnified in my body. 
So big thought when it comes to life, God will use us to turn out for God or turn out for good. A couple sub-points he has in here. What if you came at your current life and your current circumstances with just these three thoughts that come directly out of these verses? Here they are. Number one, God will use my adapting and God will use my suffering. God uses everything to accomplish his purpose. Remember, I told you what drains us is meaningless suffering. What if you combat meaningless suffering by reminding yourself God will use everything? How I adapted when the person wasn't grateful, how I adapted when the person didn't even notice, how I adapted to my suffering to choose joy in the midst of it. What if you really had that mindset? Second thought he has in verse 19 I'm out of patience, I'm out of grace, I'm out of forgiveness here. But when I am weak, he is strong. God will supply the strength I need in this moment, in this circumstance. God will supply the grace I need because I'm out of my own grace for this annoying person. But thirdly, God will not waste anything. Whether it's people preaching out of strife or envy or whether it's people preaching out of truth, God doesn't waste any pain. And God wants to grow you and use you to grow others. I think that's why Paul could adapt at any time and every place. He just always knew God was going to use it for good and God was going to grow him and others. In fact, did you know if, if, if you were Paul, you got a mission statement. You got a mission statement from, from Jesus. I mean, I imagine he's standing before Felix and Agrippa and uh, he's, he's petitioned to go to Caesar to make sure that all the Gentiles can experience Christianity freely. And while he's standing there, you know, his life's on the line before Felix, Agrippa, or Festus, he's, he's just thinking to himself, hey, you know, good news, good news. Turns out God's going to use this. <laughs> Turns out God's going to tell me what to say. He's not going to waste this pain when he's on trial. See, Paul had told, God had told Paul that he was going to use him in tough circumstances. And Paul somehow knew this, whether by life or death, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. If I live on in the flesh, this means fruit comes from my labor. I love how God's growing other people through what I do. Yet, what shall I choose, die or gain? I'm hard-pressed between the two. I got a desire to depart with Christ. That's far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is to be needful for you. I tell you this, guys, I'm just always confident of this thing. I know that I shall remain and God will grow me and continue with you that you will make progress. That the people around me can have joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul knew that God would use his adapting and his suffering to grow himself and to grow others. What if you reminded yourself in every moment of every day, God's going to use this to grow me and to grow the people who are watching me? Remember I told you that God gave Paul a mission statement? You wouldn't want this mission statement for your life. But this is the mission statement that God gave to the Apostle Paul when he became a convert to Christianity. Here it is in the book of Acts. Jesus says, <laughs> For I will show Paul how many things he must suffer for my sake, for my name's sake. Paul, you made a lot of people suffer for being a follower of Jesus. Now I'm going to show you how much you need to suffer for my name's sake. Uh, could we work on the mission statement? Um, I'd like a different maybe uh, wording there. Could we maybe when necessary, if appropriate? But this is God's calling on Paul's life. You made people suffer who are Christians. 
I'm going to show people what somebody who attacked Christianity looks like under suffering. And Paul found incredible purpose in the midst of that. So much so that in the book of Acts, he's praying, God, where should I go? I want to go here and I want to go there. And he has a vision that brought him to Philippi. Here's a vision. Acts 16.9. And a, mission appeared, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he'd seen the vision, look at this, he immediately didn't go where he wanted to go. He sought out where God was calling him to go, to Macedonia. And he concluded that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. This was his mission statement. God, grow me in my suffering and help me grow other people through my suffering. And Paul, who's from Tarsus, He's going to travel all of these, imagine walking these roads, these Roman roads, nice roads in their day, but, you know, difficult journeys in our day, and he's going to travel by boat and everything else to get to Philippi. But Paul's like, I don't care where I go, I want to know how I can glorify God. In fact, that road he walked on, it's called the Via Ignatia, he walked on these roads for months, if not years of his life. Talk about sore feet. So you and I today as a Gentile church, we're here because Paul walked on those roads and let God use him. He'll then go to marketplaces like the one in Philippi, like the one in Ephesus, and he'll be a tent maker. And he will show people what a business person looks like, how they deal, how they speak, how they care about their customers. What does Christianity look like in the marketplace? Your coworkers are watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. Paul will show up in several theaters, the big one in Ephesus. He almost gets stoned in it. They chant for two hours. It says, Diana, 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 she's a real God. Don't tell people she's not. And Paul will glorify God in the midst of the crowd being for him or the crowd being against him. Because he knew what he wants us to know. God, it turns out, will use it for good. So here's my challenge for us. Here's Paul's challenge for us. Here's God's challenge for us. Adapt to others, not because they deserve it, not because sometimes you even want to. Adapt to others because God adapted to you. Remember, I told you this whole section mirrors this poem. Paul says, I want you to adapt to others, and you're motivated because God adapted to you. And when you lose the pattern of adapting, your son who's so different from you or your daughter who's going through a tough time or your marriage is going through a different challenge or co-worker who's just got really bad ideas when you lose the pattern of adapting to others look back at the poem of how God adapted to you you know how difficult it must have been to go from a four-dimensional being outside of time and space to become a human being that is not an easy adaptation let alone to die on a Roman cross an ancient torture device, and if Jesus was willing to adapt to you, what does it look like for you to become a better listener to somebody who needs to listen? To choose to prioritize things that you don't even think are high priorities because it means a lot to the other person. What does it mean for you to display faith and courage in the midst of circumstances you don't like and you don't want? Constantly with this mindset being in you that was also in Christ Jesus, It turns out God will use this for good, and it turns out 
This will be used for God if I lean into him in the midst of it. During COVID, I got a chance to uh, get tennis lesson from my buddy Dave. And Dave described being in a circumstance he didn't want. He lost his job and lost it publicly here in our city. And he wanted to do A, but God called him to do B and C and how he was able to display God's love in the midst of circumstances he didn't prefer. So I called uh, Dave and his wife up and asked if we could show this video, even though it's a couple years old, because I think it's such a great example of living out the life of Christ in the midst of a circumstance you don't prefer. Let's watch. I think whenever God begins to shape us, it's ultimately him inviting us into a closer relationship with him. Tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey. Like, where did you grow up spiritually, and how did God use that to form some of the ventures that you have right now? Well, um, I feel like I've always had a strong faith. I grew up Catholic, as what you were forced to have a strong faith. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I've just always been a believer in that God puts us on this earth for a purpose, and he speaks to us. And he speaks to us in the form of that little voice in your head. And, and I just think, unfortunately, we as humans don't listen enough, and we overrule. And so I've, you know, come to learn that when I listen to him and I listen to what he's telling me to do, even though it may not seem like the right path, it's the beginning of the, the right path. And, and I had a, you know experience in my professional life that uh, I was at Convergis for nearly 20 years. The last three years, I was CEO of Convergis. And to my surprise, I was fired mm. in 2010. And I didn't do anything wrong. It's the board wanted to go a, a different direction. We had a falling out. But it was humiliating, it was embarrassing. Um, front page of the Enquirer, back when people read the Enquirer, my kids heard about it at school. I mean, I wanted to run away and hide. And, and, um, but I had um, made a commitment that same year to run the United Way campaign for all of greater Cincinnati. And that's the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to be out in public, it's gonna be embarrassing. And, and, and so he started, you know, he, just kept speaking to me. I'd come up with an excuse, and he kept saying, you need to do this. And so I went forward and, and did it, and it helped me learn about a lot of the challenges we have in terms of education and poverty in the greater Cincinnati um, uh, area. And um, so I finished the campaign, ran the campaign, and a friend approached me uh, about coming in and running economic development for the chamber. Again, something I really, I didn't have any experience with, I really didn't want to do, I still wanted to run away and hide. And, and again, he kept saying to me, you gotta, you gotta do this. And, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go with you again. And um, I, I did, and it helped me learn about the challenges companies were facing in terms of getting the workers they needed with the right skills. And so I finished that up, and then I started thinking the experience of United Way with challenges in the community, then the challenges employers are having and taking some of my business experience, a business I knew at Convergis, putting all three of those things together and forming education at work. And that's a company that you started? It's a company that, uh, that we founded that's designed to you know, help college students get through college more affordably. Hmm. So they go through the program, they can pay for 80 to 90% of their college and then 
get a job with many of the companies that were, you know, were doing the, the workforce. So I, I put together the business plan and we needed to raise, you know, three and a half million dollars to, to get it going. And I went out and I talked to every, seemed like everyone in the community and, and everybody thought it was a great idea, but I couldn't get anybody to commit the money that we needed. So eventually, um, one night I remember going home and talking to my wife, Kim, again, he's speaking to me saying, hey, you gotta show people you're all in. We need to make a substantial financial investment in this, be the first ones in if this is gonna, if we're really gonna do this and make it a go. And he told me we needed to do that. And I said to Kim, Kim, we need to do this. So we did. And then shortly after that, the rest of the money started coming in from College of Mount St. Joe, University of Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky University. And uh, we raised the three and a half million dollars. Uh, we started in 2012. And now, um, you know, through this year have helped uh, in terms of assistance, you know, over $60 million paid to students. Thousands of students have been benefited. And then the average starting salary of these students once they graduate is $75,000 a year. So, you know, it's been a, a great opportunity for having both, you know, success and creating an environment where, you know, people can earn a good living, but also significance where you have an organization that really is all about helping these students be successful. And, uh, you know, that's a powerful force when, when you're able to put it together. Again, I think what I love about that part of the story, too, is that it just started with you serving other people. It started with saying, you know, I don't necessarily even want to do this, but if there's a need, I want to meet you in the need. So that's what God does. What are you uniquely positioned for? What are your skill sets that you have that maybe are being untapped? And how might God use all of us to move from success to significance? So how about you? Long before somebody shows up at Horizon to our exploring service or equipping service, their first encounter they're going to have with God is watching you in your current circumstances. How are you living out the grace of God? The way you adapt to your spouse, the way you have joy in your trials, the way you find hope in the midst of tragedy. It turns out you can have confidence that God wants to work right where you are. Let's pray. Father, we know many here are carrying burdens of being in very challenging circumstances. And God, we just hold to the promise that you will supply their needs. Will you pour into each heart that's in a valley or trying to claw their way out of it the strength they need, the wisdom they need, the patience they need. For those, Father, who are sitting on top of the mountaintop, and they are experiencing the best of life in their career or their retirement or their, their stage of marriage or their stage of, of, of raising kids. God, will you show them the joy that they can display? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in their current mountaintops. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we'd love to come alongside you to help with that. And so uh, today, a way to meet. If you're a woman here at the church who wants to connect, we have a coffee and connect happening right now at the top of the stairs. When you come in the front door, turn right. And so if you'd just like to know how to connect, how to get into a Bible study, how to get to know a few other people, it's one of the many ways we're trying to connect. If not, we'll see you at the worship night or we'll see you next week. Remember, eight verses, eight minutes, at least once a week. Thanks so much.